Have you or your partner or anybody you know had a mental health diagnosis? Did you find it helpful? Today we're talking about some of the potential pros and cons of having a diagnosis uh, in the area of mental health. If you'd like to find out how to improve your relationships, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where we have lots of information about how to improve your relationships. Uh, And you can also take our free online conflict style quiz and discover your conflict style in relationships. Welcome to today's episode of The Relationship Maze. And today we're talking about the very important area of uh, diagnosis in the area of mental health. You know, have you or your partner ever had a had a diagnosis in mental health that could be something such as well sort of anxiety it could be uh, depression it could be something even along the areas of ADHD there's many different diagnoses that that people have and it seems to be something now that's becoming more and more talked about uh, particularly in, in the in social media yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've noticed that. I've noticed my daughter, for example, talks quite a lot about, um, sort of quite casually sometimes, about uh, personality disorders. So um, I think a lot of people these days very easily use the term narcissism, for example. You know, somebody is narcissistic or or they might apply a term such as, you know, somebody has borderline personality disorder. That's something that's often talked about these days as well. And it's very interesting. I mean, two things are worth noting here that um, the area of personality disorders is actually very, very broad. And somebody who struggles with more long-term issues around anxiety might get a diagnosis, for example, in gen- you know, with being diagnosed with generalized um, uh, anxiety disorder, or very frequently people might be diagnosed as having uh, depression. These are um, sitting under the umbrella term of personality disorders. The only one that isn't sitting under this umbrella term is schizophrenia, which is in its own bracket, so to speak. So um, that's one thing to mention. The other thing uh, that is worth mentioning as part of this discussion is that a, a diagnosis as such uh, can only be delivered in the UK, it can only be delivered by somebody who is a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist. Now, in America, it might be uh, slightly differently structured. I'm not too familiar with the system there. But I, for example, as a counsellor, psychotherapist, could not offer a diagnosis. So I wouldn't be able to to do a, a you know to do an assessment, so to speak, and then diagnose someone with a particular disorder. Yeah, and that's a very important thing, I think, which is because it becomes so easy these days. Like you said, people using the terms very liberally um, because it's talked about a lot oh. on social media. Uh, you know, I think we're constantly hearing about how whether it's on TikTok or Instagram, when a lot of people, are, a lot of people are using these labels quite wantonly, and there's a lot of self-diagnosis going along. I mean, it's frequently, uh, you know, I've, I know a lot of counselors who see clients who come into their room and have self-diagnosed for something, whether it's a borderline personality disorder, whether it's uh, ADHD, or whatever it happens to be, just from watching 
sort of uh, social media videos. So I think this is an area to be really mm. careful about, which is, first of all, in terms mm. of, like you said, who can really give a diagnosis? So it, you know, that's something that's done by a professional who's trained in how to do that, not by, uh, not by somebody on TikTok. Uh, and I think, you know, because mm. if, if everybody really was a narcissist, according to like, a lot of kind of the way that people talk about it, it seems that 90% of the population probably would be. Uh, again, terms like gaslighting yeah. are used very wantonly for for every every single thing, which may or may not be gaslighting. It may be that you know people say something and then forget they've said something. It can be a simple mistake, but suddenly because these terms are mm. bandied around so much, um, they're, they're just used too much. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so you, there's a real risk yeah. with this because, you know, when when we're using these labels and suddenly giving a label, which which a label, you know, in terms of what well, diagnosis, this this can be quite a powerful thing for people suddenly to think, oh, mm-hmm. I have you know, I have this condition, so to speak, or I have this whatever whatever it is. Yeah, and before we get into the relative merits of getting a diagnosis, uh, such as being borderline or um, having anxiety disorder, etc., I think just was one other thing that is might be worth mentioning as part of this debate as well, and um, uh, which is that um, these uh, assessments, these diagnoses for particular mental health conditions, um, sometimes can be problematic as well. So. Something that a lot of people might not know, and I, I, I realized that when I was uh, teaching on the counseling and coaching course a while ago, there were some students who didn't realize that um, you can't actually, you can't do a blood test, for example, for a mental health condition. You can't test someone for, um, you know, for having a disorder in the same way as you can with a physical. Uh, presentation with an illness, a physical illness, you can't actually do that. What you have, what is done in an assessment session is questions are being asked, and um, basically it's the wisdom of the person who undertakes the assessment that then generates the um, diagnosis. And sometimes, not too infrequently, this diagnosis is quite flexible. And sometimes somebody might get one diagnosis one year and a completely different diagnosis another year. The whole issue around diagnosis is quite heatedly debated in the field of mental health as well and sometimes can be uh, misleading. It doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone because remember it's based on an assessment session which takes maybe one hour, two hours and it's a snapshot at that point in the person's life and how they present then might be a little bit different from how they present on, on a different day. So I don't want to disqualify my, my, my colleagues who work in this field, because as I say, they do have wisdom, they have experience, but sometimes they might also... I think this is a really important point, which when I studied my uh, master's in psychology, um, when I first read that, you know, originally psychiatry was based on more of a biological basis for um, mental health uh, issues or conditions. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the thinking, which was, mm-hmm. well, there's something going wrong with maybe the brain chemistry. So we treat it with some sort of medication, whereas psychology is based more on is to do with nurture. And interestingly, that uh, certainly when I studied my master's, it was that there's never been any medical evidence for any basis of mental health disorders. So this is really interesting that, you know, a lot of psychiatry is based on um, 
an idea which has never been substantiated. And so now we use these terms as if they're a medical condition. So it's like as if somebody has, um, you know, has an illness, like they have a, it's like if somebody has a tumor, that's something obviously that can be showed up in a scan. It's something that can be tested for. Mm -hmm. But the conditions that we talk Mm -hmm. about in, in, in sort of the area of mental health, like depression, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic uh, personality disorder. These are things that there is no physical test. These are done on the basis of assessments uh, of somebody in a room assessing what somebody says, how they behave. So there's a huge amount of subjectivity in this. And I think that's really important mm-hmm. is that, you know, we when when this diagnosis is given, it becomes something that has the power of uh, like a medical condition to the person who has that diagnosis when mm-hmm. when it's not. And also, I think really mm-hmm. importantly is these are labels when there's a diagnosis, it's a label given to a set of um, a set of set of uh, sort of behaviors, a set of ways of being for that presentation. Mm. Yeah. So this mm. is you know, and essentially everyone is different. The problem is, it's mm. you know, if it's a label such as sort of borderline personality disorder, depression. When somebody has that, and I know many people go away and they then say, well, I, you know, I can't do this because I have anxiety. I can't do this because I have a diagnosis of depression. And suddenly it becomes something that can be quite restrictive. And people, it's often easy to lose sight of the fact that no two people with that label are going to experience this in the same way. It's completely different. It's a label given to, like like we talked about, a set of presentations. Mm. But essentially, it, it's mm. not a medical. It's not a medical label, which I think is really important mm. to realise. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This is obviously uh, very hotly debated in the field of uh, uh, psychology, uh, in the, the the overall broad field of psychology. Um, this whole question around labels um the the manual where basically you can read up about all of these mental health uh conditions is called the dsm-5 it gets revised regularly um i can't remember every five years something like this um and it's always it's always very hotly debated what gets included in the dsm-5 what is uh what gets excluded new presentations are being described new clusters of presentations are being described and there's also counter movements in the field there are also people saying who completely want to discredit the dsm-5 and say well we need to have a completely different uh, manual here which is less about these kind of labels which looks more at underlying social structures for example that impact on a person's mental health Um, so one of these attempts is the power threat meaning um uh diagnostic uh, it's not a diagnostic i can't remember what it's called power threat meaning a tool which has been developed by a group of psychiatrists and clinicians which try to define these kind of presentations in very different ways and um that's a kind of by the by uh, but just to come back to this whole question of uh, what are the advantage, the relative merits or advantages or disadvantages of getting uh, a diagnosis? I'm kind of sitting on the fence a little bit here because I think there it can be helpful for some people to have a diagnosis because um, it then means that um, they have a name for it, as you say, a label, Tom. Yeah, 
They can label a, a cluster of presentations. They can say, oh, well, now I can recognize why I have these particular experiences. Now I understand why I always struggle in this or that situation, for example. Um, it can also mean that somebody um, then can refer to a group of other people with a similar presentation. So, you know, they can have conversations with others, so they might not feel so alone with this particular experience that they have. That's kind of on the plus side. I mean, what do you think? If we're looking at the sort of advantages of a diagnosis first before we look at the the challenges and difficulties with it, what do you think, Tom? Are there any other advantages? That no, I think, you like identify? you said, it can help somebody have an understanding. And I think with, with some areas, it may be more useful than others. I mean, you know, for example, with um, a label such as autism, that I think that can be really important. And you know, again, it's it's mm. it's difficult to know how much is nature, how much is nurture. Um, for myself, I'd fear that you know something like autism, maybe you know, probably more that more of a genetic basis as well within that. But the, again, there's different arguments. I know a lot mm. of psychoanalysts who actually mm. argue that it is a mm. nurture. You know, it's to do with nurture. But mm. I think the thing is as well is you know how do some of these conditions develop? And when we call them condition, that's a label mm. too. It's like a condition, like a thing. Um, does it come from nurture? Mm. And I think certainly in our work as counsellors, we see a lot that, you know, whether it's uh, borderline personality disorder, depression, we see that these uh, conditions that develop as a result of experiences that we go through in life. And I think a lot of our work is based on this. And we see a lot of our clients who mm. change as a result of therapy because they work through some of these sort of early trauma that they've experienced. And so I think one of the things is the danger is that when we have a label is, we feel, well, okay, this is it. I've got this. And it's like, we can't do anything about it almost, or it becomes a box that we kind of sit in that restricts us. I, I remember years ago, mm. uh, a friend of mine was talking about how they couldn't go out to social events because they have depression and the depression stops them like it was a physical barrier rather than something within and um you know someone else I, I know years and years ago once uh, was going for some therapy and um uh, and they they've been labeled they've been diagnosed with depression and well, at one point therapist asked them well how are you depressing yourself which they found an incredibly challenging question they actually left the therapy for a while because they were outraged thinking well what do you mean i'm doing this no i've got this thing but suddenly they mm. said they said after a while they reflected on it and realized this was one of the most important uh, questions they had been asked that this was a process mm. that was going on within them and suddenly when we turn it into a process mm. it's something that's not rigid it's not inflexible and I think the problem with a lot of labels mm. is they sound very rigid. It's something that becomes frozen rather than a process that we mm. go through. So, you know, whatever whatever mm. the diagnostic label is, we vary with that each day. Like if it was GAD, generalized mm. anxiety disorder, there are some days we might have that mm. more. There are some times in the day we have it more mm. or less. It's not, it's not a constant, mm -hmm. but the label sounds like a constant. And I think when we realize that it does fluctuate, or there were times in the past maybe we didn't have this level of anxiety, then we see mm. that you know this is something that can develop, it can change. And I think that's important, is to take the label and turn it back into a process over time. 
that isn't rigid. It's not mm. static. And there's variability within that. And within that, we have uh, we have the empowerment. We have the, the ability to influence how we experience it. And again, something with anxiety, which is talked about a lot in ACT. And, and actually next week, we're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes, the, the founder of ACT, which is going to be really exciting. So please tune into that. Uh, but I think you know with, within within that it's it's really important to be aware of of how we all experience a lot of these feelings and ways of thinking throughout the day. You know whether or not we have a label or not. There's times we all feel uh, what we could say is depressed. There's times we all have that experience mm-hmm. of anxiety. But the question is what we do with that and how we kind of internally experience that with what we say in our minds, how we, how, what we do with our feelings. And I think it's, that's, that's really important thing is that, that with a label, if a label keeps us stuck in a way of being, if it restricts our life, if it stops us living a life where we can do the things we want to do, where we can live a life that gives some sort of value, then, then I think it becomes problematic initially it can give you you know for some people it can give them a bit of understanding that okay well this is the case but like i said that's you know that can just be a starting point to realize that this is a word that's been used to to explain what's going on at the moment but it doesn't mean that we have to be stuck within this box of that label Hmm. Yeah, I think the difficulty is uh, with the over-identification that can come with the diagnosis. So this idea of, because I have a diagnosis now as um, I have anxiety, for example, yeah, or I have social anxiety, I have OCD. Of course, yes, that is what this uh, what somebody experiences uh, and can be also not to diminish this seriously affected by of course the quality of the life can be very seriously affected by these um, presentations there's no doubt about it but i think the difficulty is when um uh, because the diagnosis um, puts a kind of rubber stamp on it it almost it can kind of reinforce this idea that uh, the presentation is uh, is a is a symptom so to speak it's not necessarily the be all and end all and it's not something that somebody who has this presentation needs to be entirely identified with because that's the difficulty isn't it this idea of saying i am anxious i am depressed implies um, as you rightly say tom that there is it's monolithic it's set in stone there is no movement here this is who i am and if, if and if, if this is who i am then there's nothing i can do about it that's the difficulty that it can render somebody rather helpless and stuck in a particular position so I think this is the this is the challenge really, because from my perspective, um, a lot of these um, presentations um, are uh, symptoms. If I think about depression, you know, there is no, for, from my perspective, there is no such thing as uh, an illness that is depression. Uh, well, it's there. I can and witness it. I see people suffer from a whole host of um, presentations around it. But for me. Um, I'm way more interested in the root causes. Where is this coming from? Um, you know, what what is it that is making you feel in this particular way? What is hindering you in going out, stepping out into the world, and leading a a rounded, fulfilled life? So I don't I don't think anyone is born with depression. For example, you know, people are made 
to feel yes, depressed. Yes, I think you can see that with, you know, with babies. I mean, you see they've experienced a range of emotions, mm. but I don't think there's any babies that just lie there looking, you know, in, in what we label as depressed all the time. It's sort of, mm. you know, there is happiness, there's laughter, there's crying, there's the range of emotions. Um yeah, so I think that's really important is, you know, it, it can give you that understanding, but it's when we get stuck that it can be problematic. So it's what we do with that. And knowing mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is, you know, we're experiencing these, the, 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 this way of being at the moment, but it doesn't mean there's not flexibility within that. And I think one of the big challenges is when, when that label becomes used as a, as a kind of almost as an excuse to stop us from being able to change, to stop us from being able to to move somewhere else. Um, And I think that can be problematic. Mm. So when it becomes sort of, well, yeah, I can't do this, as as I mentioned earlier. Um, Mm. And within any Mm. sort of criteria, there there is a range. I think, you know, whether it's depression, Mm. this is something that is a process. You know, this is a way of experiencing life Mm. at that moment. It doesn't mean there isn't flexibility within that. Some of these things are, you know, I mean, I, I think even talking about this can be controversial to an extent too, because you know, some people get very protective of, of the labels. I think we was reading a great mm-hmm. book by uh, Gabo Mate recently, um, sort of, um, I can't remember what it's called, Scattered Minds. about ADHD being on a dimension and that there is a lot of fluctuation within this people experience this very differently Um, but you know within something where somebody who has difficulty concentrating because maybe you know they have ADHD is sort of it doesn't mean as well that we can't learn to focus too these are sort of way you know things that we can learn um, or can develop Mm. We can learn to have mm. uh, more ability to regulate ourselves emotionally, um, even if whether it's something that is genetic or whether it's something through nurture that we've found it very difficult to um, regulate our own emotions. If this is something that mm. that we can start to learn to do, and and therapy, uh, psychotherapy, counselling is a great way to start with this. It's something that knowing that you know. We, we don't have to be held back in our lives. We don't have to experience things in that way forever just because we've been given some sort of diagnostic label. Mm. Yeah, I mean, sort of coming back to the idea of sitting on the fence, I mean, I can think of some clients I have worked with in the past where I I would have said, actually, yes, a therapy was definitely helpful. We, we went a long way, but equally I was... Um, also uh, quite aware of the value that my medical colleagues brought to the table in terms of thinking about some medication with some clients. For example, working with clients who um, are bipolar, I was aware that some of the antipsychotic medication really helped them to stabilize, to uh, to do the initial, also to do the therapeutic work. Yeah, because if somebody's in a high level of distress or if somebody is completely dissociated, for example, then it's very difficult to engage in therapy. It's almost impossible. So I just want I I want to kind of also be clear that I wouldn't want to completely diminish um, the um, you know the work that is done in 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 the mental health field and and some of the the, the sort of medication. That's Absolutely, also yeah. And like you said, you know, something like bipolar disorder. I think a lot of people will need you know, medication, whether that's for life, whether it's temporarily, I, I think it will vary. I mean, a lot of people, 
may have to be on medication for some things for a, a long period of time. It may be something that becomes part of mm. um, their life as well. But within that, there's also ability to change um, w- with the help of medication too sometimes. Um, and, you mm. know, th- again, with certain conditions like schizophrenia or psychosis where medication may be at least temporarily necessary, I think that's important to remember that there is mm. value in in, mm. in in this as well. Um, but I think also, interestingly, mm. with uh, some of the research in ACTS, I believe, has been done with, um, even with schizophrenia, where actually sort of ACTS has been used um, in studied along uh, as an alternative to medication and has been quite successful which has been very interesting actually yeah. so this is something that previously was thought of that could only be treated really with medication um, or needed to be so there are some interesting mm. areas within this which are still being explored mm. and of course with the whole um, area of neuroscience now where we have a we gain a better understanding of uh, the brain. Well, I mean, it's still a large mystery, the brain, but we get more and more insight into what happens in the brain. Um, there are some interesting developments there as well in terms of having an understanding of biological functioning, so to speak, of brain. Um, but I mean, we are what well, we are sort of discussing today. I mean, this this whole area, just to be clear, this is highly controversial. There are lots of debates about this, and they're very fiery. Uh, around the whole nature-nurture debate, ultimately, is what we're talking about here. Um, you know, what, what sort of, what are, what are children born with? What, you know, what are conditions that you're born with? What is it that you can change? But I think our message, ultimately, I think today is quite a hopeful one, isn't it? That's what we're trying to say, Tom, is that, you know, there's there's always so much room <laughs> yeah, for change. Absolutely. And I think uh, even in the area, you mentioned neuroscience, yeah. I think even in the area of neurosciences, being careful not to think this is the be all and end all because we don't have a chicken and the egg. Exactly. Sometimes I've heard some things described as, well, this is to do with irregular brain functioning. But, but where does this come yeah. from? Does this come from nurture? So, you know, still, I think there's a danger yeah. where we start to apply what is has the word science in it to be an understanding mm. of how we experience our emotions and our ways of thinking. And because, and this That's is another right. thing, when I did my master's in psychology as well, we talked about you know, certain words of power. When you put the word science in something, suddenly you think this is true. Mm. But I think we need to be able to question mm. that none of these things are necessarily true. They're hypotheses to help understanding. But knowing that within that, there, yeah. there may be other ways of thinking as well. Yeah, exactly. So they're descriptors, and um, but it's always helpful to underpack to under uh, unpack these descriptors and see what you do with them. So you know, you have a description of a particular presentation. Yeah. What do you do with it? And I think what we want to emphasize today is that there is always something that can be done. Yeah, there is a there are possibilities. Um, if we think about a lot of the mental health presentations as symptoms, then we can do something about the causes of these symptoms we can understand them we can gain some insight into these causes and that goes yeah, a long absolutely. way so it's part of our current experience and the question is how we can change that experience you know how we experience ourselves internally with our thoughts and our feelings and everything else that goes along mm-hmm. with that so I think we've kind of wrapped this up today. Yeah. And so next week, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Stephen Hayes, the founder of ACT. And it's going to be a great interview. So please tune in and uh, you know tell your friends and subscribe to this channel. Um, we look forward to speaking with you then. 
Take good care. Bye. Until then. Bye.